lordship. We've been speaking for a few weeks on our core values as a church, family, evangelism, leadership development, discipleship, lordship. We are really diving deeply into what we believe aren't just things that we came up that are good values, but things that we truly believe that God values. And God values lordship. See, God is Lord. Jesus is Lord. When we get to Matthew chapter 7, if you're not familiar, we find ourselves here at the Sermon on the Mount, towards the end of Jesus' message. This is when you get the blessed or the poor in spirit that you have heard it said that if you hate your brother or if you murder, uh, you have heard it said that if you lust after a woman, all of these things that Jesus says are here on the Sermon on the Mount. And he finishes this incredible teaching that he does with authority that's different than the rulers and the Pharisees with this statement that a lot of people will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, and all these things. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, lordship really is Jesus saying that I have authority. And Jesus confirms this authority in Matthew chapter 28 When he rises from the dead, he speaks to his best friends, and before he ascends and floats up into the clouds, he tells his friends, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he commissions them to go and make disciples. All authority has been given to Jesus. Right theology says that Jesus has all authority. Right lordship says that Jesus has all authority over me. And we confirm and affirm that Jesus has all authority over me. Did you know that Jesus was called Lord a hundred times in the book of Acts alone? And he was called Lord 622 times in the New Testament. But Jesus was only called Savior twice in the book of Acts and 24 times in the New Testament. Now, this does not diminish Jesus' role as Savior. This emphasizes his role as Lord. That sometimes we make the decision, he's either my Savior or my Lord. He just saved me from hell, but I don't have to do anything for him now. And the overwhelming emphasis of Scripture is no. He cannot be Savior and not Lord. He has to be both. Jesus is Lord. And it's not that he is Lord because you make him Lord. Jesus is Lord already. You just make him Lord of your life. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. I just want you to pray this with me. Listen to it. Hear these words that Paul is speaking to the church. And he says... In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20, he says this. Now Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created. 
in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of all creation, that in, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You see, Jesus Christ is Lord. You do not make him Lord. He is Lord all by himself. You make Jesus Lord of your life. He's matchless. There is nobody like him. He is unqualified. He is preeminent. He is the first and the last. He will never be preceded. No one will ever come after him who is greater or who even comes close. You can't stand shoulder to shoulder with him and you cannot claim to know anything more than him or have a righteousness that even compares to him. He is Lord. And we affirm that he is not just Lord of all creation with right theology. We have right lordship that says he has all authority over me. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the everlasting one, the king of glory, the lion of Judah, the rose of Sharon, the lion and the lamb, the only one who is able to open the scroll. He is Lord. You see, there are healthy responsibilities in any relationship. When uh, I was with my roommates in, in college, you naturally just divide up responsibilities. So some of us would take out the trash on certain days. Some of us would clean the house. Some of us would do the dishes. Some of us would uh, clean if neighbors are coming over, all these types of things. You just have natural responsibilities in the house because in any functioning relationship, there has to be some responsibility. And I remember as we were having some friends over in college, we were hosting uh, a little get-together and as some people were coming over, um, we decided to be great hosts and order some pizza. The pizza comes over, and uh, before everybody else gets there, <laughs> me and my roommates decide some responsibility. We say, all right, you, you take care of the pizza. You, you clean the house. You, you get the bathroom. You, you get the, the food and the drinks or whatever. And I remember we told one of my roommates, you take care of the pizza. Make sure it's all good for everybody when they get here. So what he does is he takes this uh, Domino's pizza, and he puts it in the oven. And as he puts it, yeah, so um, as he puts it in the oven, we're all sitting there, and I didn't know, um, and as all of our friends came over, we're having a great time chopping it up, talking, whatever, and then all of the sudden, we look over, and we see smoke coming from our oven, and all of our friends are around, and like, I look, and I see it first, and I look at my roots, and I'm like, what the, what did you... And so I'm like, what's, and all of a sudden, we realized my roommate turned on the oven with a cardboard pizza box in there. We <laughs> rushed to the oven, grabbed the pizza box out, start throwing water in the oven, like spraying water everywhere, just trying to get rid of the fire any way that we could. The fire alarm's going off. And all I could think in that one moment was looking at my roommate, and I didn't say it, but all I could think was, you had one job, <laughs> and you ruined it for all of us. In any functioning relationship, there has to be healthy responsibility. You see, God has a lot of responsibilities, but so do you. See, God's responsibility is holding the world together. 
God's responsibility is being present with everybody in this room. God's responsibility is salvation. God's responsibility is the forgiveness of your sins. God's responsibility is making sure that you can take the next breath. God's responsibility is making sure that you are seen as Jesus is seen because of the sacrifice which Jesus has made. God's responsibility is making sure that the solar system isn't pulled apart in this moment. God has a lot of responsibilities, but you have responsibility too. Your responsibility is simple though. It's to make Jesus the Lord of your life. In the same way that I looked at my roommate and thought you had one job, I look at you, church, today, and I say, you have one job. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. There are a lot of responsibilities in a functioning relationship, and you have one of those responsibilities. Jesus Christ is Lord. Devotion is a monumental word in the New Testament. It's this idea that you have this undivided attention and pursuit of one thing. And all of us are devoted to things, but here's the reality, that if devotion to Jesus is not a reality, then lordship to Jesus will always be an option. If you are not fully devoted to the person of Jesus, you will always decide if he is Lord. You'll always be choosing between you and between him. Lordship, though, to Jesus requires total authority. And we can't um, divert or split that authority. We compartmentalize a lot of different things in our lives. We put things into nice categories. We decide where things go. My job gets this many hours. My family gets this much of my energy. My money gets this much of my attention. My spouse gets this much of my love. And we always compartmentalize because we aren't really sure if it's safe not to have a backup. We always want to put things in certain boxes where we can control. And some of us, really, that I realize aren't obedient to Jesus. We are advised by Jesus. We just take him under consideration. And we don't say, I will give you total authority over my life. We compartmentalize Jesus and make him just a teacher whose lessons we take or don't take depending on the day. We take advisement from Jesus. We are not obedient to Jesus. And if you are not in total submission to Jesus, he is not Lord of your life. You are. Because then Jesus has to run everything by you. And then you decide if you will be obedient to Jesus. That doesn't sound like he's Lord. It sounds like you are. Why? Because we're not obedient to him sometimes. We just take his words under advisement. What does that mean? For us to not compartmentalize Jesus requires risk. Lordship is risky according to the world. You don't have a backup. Your life is not your own. You decide that Jesus, you are in control, which means that he has your full heart, your full actions, your full mind. And apparently there were some people in Matthew chapter seven who said Jesus was Lord out of their mouth, but they compartmentalized him in their life. Jesus cannot be compartmentalized. He is either in a way Lord of all or not Lord at all. He either has total authority or he doesn't. 
See, the Pharisees even gave Jesus authority over certain parts of their lives, but not over their heart. Lordship means that he has authority over everything, including me. See, it's possible to deceive man, but it's impossible to deceive Jesus. He knows if he he is really Lord of your life. And you don't have to convince me that Jesus is Lord of your life. That means nothing. If I believe that Jesus is Lord of your life, changes nothing. Jesus has to believe that Jesus is Lord of your life. And if I believe it, or if your family believes it, or if your cousin believes it, it does not make a difference. Only if Jesus believes Because apparently there were many people who came to Jesus saying that he was Lord, but he himself didn't believe it. Why? Because Jesus knows your heart. If Jesus is Lord, it is just this sentence, that now Jesus is captain of my ship, that he is in charge of my life, that what he says goes. You see, Jesus isn't a backseat driver. Jesus isn't even a passenger driver. Jesus is in the driver's seat. He's the captain of my ship. How many of us know how important it is the company that you keep on a long road trip? You ever been on a long road trip and you had really bad company in the car? And you're like, I'm stuck with you for how long? And there are a lot of important places in a car. You can have the, uh, the trunk. The trunk is an important place in the car. You can put things that you don't have space for, maybe things that you really can't fit anywhere else, places that you don't really have to see. And you can put like dirty clothes back there. You play sports. You can put your gym bag back there. And you can put a lot of important things in the trunk. There's an important place for the trunk of your car. And there's an important seat. It's the back seat. A backseat's an important seat in your car and that you can add some people to your trip that wouldn't normally be able to come on your trip since you have some extra space. There's the passenger seat, which is probably the second most important seat in the car in that the passenger seat has the aux cord. You know what I mean? They're in charge of the vibes, the atmosphere. They choose the podcast, the music. So if you don't really like who your passenger is, you might not like really where your trip's going. The passenger seat, it's an important seat in the car. It adds to your overall experience of where you're going. When I was taking a trip with one of my friends, we were uh, going down to New Orleans from uh, Virginia, and we were broke, and so we drove. So me and my friend were driving down to New Orleans, and as we were driving down there, before we got uh, to our trip, we had booked this Airbnb, and we were super excited to go, and then my friend gets a girlfriend. And I was like, yeah, great for you. And then all of a sudden, as our our trip is approaching, he's like, hey, man, can she come? And I was like, are you kidding me? And I was like, bro, I'm a great friend. So I was like, absolutely. Yeah, she can come. So friend comes, girlfriend comes. We're driving down to New Orleans from Virginia. It's like 14 hours, right? So we're driving all the way down. The first few hours, we're having a great time. Vibes are great. Conversation's great. Listen to music, podcasts, whatever. And then all of a sudden, we get down to somewhere in like South Carolina, Alabama, that area. We get gas. It's super late in the night. We're driving through the night. And then all of a sudden, he's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go sit with her in the backseat. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you got it. You got it. So he goes and sits with her in the backseat. I'm driving. And 10 minutes down the road, all I hear is, and I'm like, you jerk. This man is sitting in the back seat. 
asleep with his girlfriend, and I'm just driving in the middle of the night by myself on a boys' trip to New Orleans with my boy's girlfriend. I'm the taxi driver. I'm an Uber. And I'm like, how did this happen? I thought we were boys. Like, I don't know what happened here. And I've realized that sometimes we can treat Jesus just like we treat friends on a road trip. In that, sometimes some of us have taken Jesus out of the driver's seat. And we've put him into the passenger seat. Jesus is now just there for the vibes. He's there to add atmosphere to my life. He's there to enhance my experience in my journey and where I want to go. He's in the passenger seat. And yeah, it's important. Yeah, he's important. But he just adds to my overall experience. Jesus might be in the back seat for some of us. I didn't really have room in the passenger seat, but I had some room back here, Jesus, if you wanted to come. Come here. Yeah, no, I mean, like there's some extra space. And maybe even some of us have put Jesus in the trunk. And we said, man, I didn't really have any space. And to be honest, I don't really want anybody to see you. I'm going to put you in a space where nobody else can see. And yeah, you can come along for the trip, but I don't want anybody to know that you're there. You see, Jesus doesn't belong in the passenger seat. He doesn't belong in the back seat. He doesn't belong in the trunk. Jesus belongs in the driver's seat of your life. Not just enhancing your experience. Not just there because you had some extra room in your life. And not there so that nobody else can see. But he decides where you go. Jesus Christ is Lord. And lordship is about authority. And lordship isn't just about authority, but lordship is also about love. See, lordship is this question, truly, of do you love Jesus? And I pause because I want us to consider that question. Do I love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Because God is first and foremost after your love. Because he knows that if you love him, everything else will take care of itself. It's really interesting in Matthew chapter 7 that when these people claim to come to Jesus and say, we casted out demons in your name. We did all these miracles in your name. We did these great things in your name. That Jesus never disputes the reality of those claims. He never says that those people didn't do those things. And yet Jesus says, I never knew you. Matthew 7, he's teaching us right here. He's saying, man, didn't we cast out demons in your name? Did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not? I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, that might... Be interesting for some of us. Can we say, well, how can they do those things if Jesus never knew them? Well, it's not that out of the ordinary. You remember in Corinthians, Paul teaches the church at Corinth who was full of the Spirit, could do amazing things. And Paul says that if you have tongues and you prophesy in language of men and angels, but you don't have love, you're a noisy gong. He says, if you have prophetic powers and you hear from heaven and you can prophesy the paint off the walls, you can tell a mountain to be thrown into the sea, but you don't have love, you are nothing. 
Paul says that if you give up all that you have and you deliver your body up to be burned, but you have not love, you don't gain a thing. See, there's a reality in this that's not just with what Jesus and Paul says. This is a reality of life. And it teaches me one thing, that what I do for Jesus is never as important as my love for Jesus. Because apparently you can cast out demons, speak in tongues, do great miracles, and make great sacrifice without any affection for Jesus Christ. And he will respond to you in the same way he responds in Matthew 7. I don't know who you are. Now, why would Jesus allow these things to happen? I believe it's because Jesus has such an enormous love for humanity that he will use even very fragile, broken people to accomplish his purpose. And lordship is about love. What you do for Jesus is never as important as your love unto Jesus. Lordship is a question of who do I love first? That's the question. Who do I love first? Because God deeply cares about the priorities of your life. He cares about who's first in your life. Um, since I've been in ministry almost every year, I've gotten the opportunity to go on a missions trip to Mexico. We get the opportunity to minister with some of our every nation churches down in Baja, Tijuana area. And we take a bunch of students when I was youth pastor and we would, uh, build a house for a family in need. We would partner with the ministry down there. We'd go do street evangelism. We'd go and have these amazing experiences, but there is almost nothing as fulfilling as building a house where there wasn't one before. It's, it's this reality that this family had no place to live. They were living in, in plywood and plastic and not that we gave them something like salvation in a house, although we did preach the gospel to them, but there was something so fulfilling in building that house for people. And we built it from the ground up. It was the drywall and the electricity and the, and the two by fours and the nailing and, the, and everything about it we built. And before we got there to build this house, there was one thing that had to be done before any of this house was built. And that one thing that had to be done before we started building the house is that there had to be a concrete foundation set. If we hadn't set the foundation of the house before we started to build the house, then all of our building would be in vain. And Jesus says, I deeply care about the priorities of your life in the same way. That you can build amazing things for me. But if you do not have the right priority of who you love first, it will all be in vain. Because lordship is just a matter of who do I love first. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's a matter actually of your heart. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it actually says this, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, then God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. It teaches me that lordship is more than about action. It is about affection, that our heart needs to be engaged when we actually make Jesus the Lord of our lives. And if we confess with our mouth, but have no affection in our heart, we're missing half of our faith. 
Jesus is saying that lordship is about love. Do you love him first or do you love yourself first? Because it might seem natural to love yourself first, but that doesn't mean that it's right. You'll be taught in culture society that self-love is the best love, but that is just untrue. It might seem natural that I need to put myself before everybody else, but biblically that is just unwise. Self-love is not the best love in the kingdom of God. God's love is the best love. And when we prioritize the love of God and loving God, we actually end up loving ourselves best. You see, when I love God first, I actually love me best. But when I love me best, I don't love God first or best or me best. Because in reality, I don't know how to love me best. That's why we listen to so many podcasts, read so many books, go to so many seminars. Is because we don't know how to love ourselves best. And yet, we are taught throughout all of society that you put you first. But I've realized that I do not look to the creation on how something operates. I look to the creator. So when I'm trying to figure out how to love me best, I need to love him first. Matthew 6.33, Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of heaven and its righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. See, because typically who you love first you love most. And if you love yourself first, you have loved yourself most. And whatever you love most is an idol. That's why selfishness is so evil. It's because you love yourself before anybody else. You choose yourself before anybody else. You've now made an idol of self. That's why selfishness is so evil. That's why God's saying you don't need to love you first. You don't even know what you need to love you first and love you best. But if you love me first, I will teach you how to love you best, others best, and I will love you better than you could ever love yourself. You see, lordship is about who you love first, him or you. John 14, 15 teaches, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. One of my favorite verses in the scriptures because it teaches us where our love truly comes from. And it teaches us how to love God best. That Jesus knows that you love him if you obey him. And if you obey him, then it says that if you love me, then you'll obey me. Not if you obey me, then you'll love me. Your love and your obedience are connected. They're connected. You cannot truly love Jesus without obeying him. Gary Chapman wrote this book called The Five Love Languages. And it's this um, uh, uh, test and, and, and book that you can read to discover which ways that you receive and that you give love most naturally and the best. The five love languages are words of affirmation, physical touch, acts of service, gifts, and quality time. And in one of those or multiple of those five categories is how you typically give love and how you most readily receive love, which is why sometimes when you buy your wife gifts, she doesn't receive it as love because she just wants you to spend time with her, which is why when you go to your kids and you say, hey, I think you're the greatest ever, but you haven't hugged them in a few months, they don't feel loved by you. It's because they receive love and give love in a specific love language. And I believe that Jesus Christ love language is obedience. If you love me, you'll obey me. 
The way that Jesus Christ knows that you love him is if you obey him. Some of us think that Jesus' love language is morality. God, I've been so good for you. No, no, no. Some of us think Jesus' love language is money. God, I've given so much for you. Okay. Some of us think Jesus' love language is church attendance. God, I've been to church. I haven't missed a Sunday this year. What are you talking about? Some of us think Jesus' love language is scripture reading. And here's the thing. All of those things are great, but that's not how the scripture says that Jesus receives love. It's not how Jesus says that he knows that you love him. You're not speaking his language. He's saying, I know that you love me if you obey me. Why? Because lordship is about love. Do you love Jesus? Lordship is about authority. Lordship is about love. But lordship is also about belief. About belief. You see, lordship is about belief in Jesus and trusting him with your life and not trusting yourself. What you believe about Jesus is probably one of the most important questions you will ever answer. What do you believe about Jesus? Because you believe something about him. Do you believe that he's far off? Do you believe that he's not involved? Do you believe that he's absent? Do you believe that he's angry? Do you believe that he's far away from your family and he's not a present help? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he's kind? Do you believe that he's somebody who sticks closer than a brother? Do you believe that he actually loves you better than you could ever love yourself? Do you believe that he is with you? What you believe about Jesus is probably one of the most important questions that you're ever going to answer. And it's so important what you believe about Jesus because your belief is directly also connected to your behavior. And some of us think that if we behave for Jesus, then we believe in Jesus. But we need to realize that my belief affects my behavior, not the other way around. So what I believe about Jesus directly influences how I behave towards Jesus. And he knows this because you can change, or I'll say it this way. I can change my behavior without changing my belief, but I can't change my belief without changing my behavior. You can change what you do without changing what you believe about God. You can come to church and still believe him to be far off, angry, unconcerned, and uninvolved. But if you believe him to be kind and benevolent, truthful, honest, loving, caring, savior, forgiver, friend, and father, then it will, in fact, change how you behave. You can change your behavior without changing your belief, but you can't change your belief without changing your behavior. If I truly believe something, it will change the way that I Behave. And if I believe that my life is better in his hands than it is in mine, I will make Jesus the Lord of my life. But if I believe that my life is better in my hands than it is in his, I'll make myself the Lord of my life. It's simple. Your belief influences your behavior. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3. We don't have time to read the whole text, but it's the story of these three Hebrew boys who were found in Babylon, taken really from their home, exiled to Babylon to serve underneath this wicked king, Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar was this king who took all of the most um, well-appointed and aptitude men from Israel and said, you're going to serve me and do what I tell you to do. I'm going to call you something different. I'm going to teach you something different. I'm going to feed you something different. And Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel are three, four Hebrew boys who were highlighted in this book. Well, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a very kind king. He sets up this golden image of himself and says, whenever the music plays in Babylon, now everybody needs to bow down and worship this golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't want to do that. They knew that I cannot have any other gods before God. I can't make an idol and I will not serve any graven image. And what we find in Daniel chapter 3 is this point. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king after he threatened that if you don't worship this golden image I've set up, then I will throw you into a fiery furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he doesn't, O king, we won't serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What made three young Hebrew boys stand up against such a wicked king who was threatening them in the moment to burn them alive? I believe it's because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed that God does not just do good, but God is good. They believed that God is good. And that's different than believing that God does good. Because sadly, if I believe that God only does good, I won't follow him when things look bad. But if I believe that God is good, then I know that things, even when they are bad, he can turn them all around to be good. Therefore, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not worship the golden image you have set up, nor the worship the gods that you have said. Our God can save us. Our God will save us. But even if he doesn't, even if, it, in that statement, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are saying God is good. He doesn't just do good. God is good. You see, I believe that some of us, if we don't have this right understanding, we will start to end up with a God that looks far more similar to our emotions than to Yahweh. And we will start to follow this God that says it's uh, an emotional God. He's unreliable. He's inconsistent. He's fickle. And he is, as only, he is only as good as I am doing. It's a God who looks far too similar to our emotions. And when we start embracing him, when they're good and rejecting him, when they're bad. We say, God, if the circumstances are bad, then I don't want it, and I'm not going to follow you. But if the circumstances are good, then yeah, God, let's do this thing. I'll follow you anywhere. And I fear that some of us might be drifting into the temptation that God just does good things, and he isn't a good God. And if you don't believe that he is good, 
you will never be able to stand up to Nebuchadnezzar. You will never be able to stand in this time. You'll never be able to be the father or the mother or the citizen or the friend that God has called you to be, the salt and light in this world. Because Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. What do you believe about God? Because lordship is about belief. See, what you believe about God is probably one of the most important questions that you will ever answer. And when I believe that my life is better in his hands than it is in mine, I will make him the Lord of my life. God is good. He doesn't just do good. And Psalm chapter 100 verse 5 says this. It says, for the Lord God is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. See, lordship is about authority. Lordship is about love. And lordship is about belief. What do you believe about God? Because if you believe that your life is better in his hands than it is in yours, you will make him lord of your life. And here's the last thing I want you to leave with this morning, is that lordship, yes, it's about authority. Lordship is about love and lordship is about belief. And listen to this, lordship is gospel. The lordship of Jesus Christ is gospel. Do you know what gospel means? Good news. The lordship of Jesus Christ is good news. Some of you don't believe me. Because you're still thinking my life is better in my hands than it is in his. But if you would believe that God is good, that Jesus Christ died for your sins, we do not make him Lord, but we make him Lord of our lives. And that he is actually a really, really good Lord. He is sovereign, I'm not. He is holy, I'm not. He is good, I'm not. He's all powerful, I'm not. See, when Jesus Christ is Lord of your life, you get Jesus's results. But when you are the Lord of your life, you get your results. Say it with me. Jesus Christ is Lord is gospel. It's really good news to you that Jesus is in charge and that you're not. Because whenever I'm in charge, I always mess it up. I always leave with regrets. I always make a mistake and I never think it through. But you serve a God who is saying if you would trust and submit your life to me, you would get my results. Not that your life would be perfect, not that you would always have the best time, but that you would get Jesus Christ's results for your life, which are faithful, true, and good. The lordship of Jesus Christ is gospel. It's good news to you. See, lordship is about authority. Lordship is about love. Lordship is about belief. And the lordship of Jesus Christ is gospel. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. We, we affirm the authority that you have over our lives as Lord. We affirm, God, that my love for you is directly com- connected to my lordship to you. And God, we want to love you. We affirm, Lord, that lordship is about belief and we want to believe the right things about you. And Lord, we affirm that lordship of Jesus Christ is gospel. 
It's really good news to us because now, God, we get what you got. 